Well, let's pray as we prepare our hearts to hear the living, breathing Word of God that He might speak to us this morning. Lord, this topic as we go through is one that's familiar. It's difficult for many of us to get past the familiar so that we might make it practical and make it a part of our life. And Lord, just knowing something so well, sometimes we overlook it and we think we know it, but yet we realize we're not actively participating in it. So Lord, I pray that we would hear from you and know that because of the illustrations we have in our veterans and those that have fought for this country, the band of brothers, the, those that have banded together for a common goal, that we would see that illustration, but also the illustration that you are the general of generals, that, Lord, you fought and won the victory by dying on the cross for our sins, by doing what we couldn't do, and that is to conquer death. Lord, you fought that battle and won. You rose again on our behalf to to bring us salvation. So, Lord, I pray that would weigh heavy on our hearts, not heavy as in sad, but in a glorious presentation of knowing you. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us loud and clear through the topic this morning as we look at growing in godliness that we might exercise these things and grow as a church in knowing you and loving you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If, you're in our, if you know we're in our series of Second Peter and we're going to read verses this morning, we're going to look at verses 5 uh, through 8. And you know the context, we've been talking about that. Those are our guests. We've been going through this series of the importance of growing in godliness, and I've never mentioned this, but if you notice around these dumbbells, for some of us, those are familiar, and others, we have no idea what dumbbells are for. But (laughs) for those that know, uh, to be or to grow, that is the question, right? Are we just to be here as a Christian, or are we supposed to be growing in our understanding and faith and active service for the Lord. And how do we do that? And that's what the series have been all about. Practical Christianity requires cooperation with God and the anticipation of spiritual diligence and discipline. The foundation of of every believer is a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior. It's based on the faith that God has given us. And it's based on that. It's given to us by the Lord himself so we can live life winning the battles that are before us through our faith. God has given us everything. He has provided it. He won the victory. He did it. But we still have the responsibility to do and use what he's given us to be active. We don't gain ground. We don't cover ground as a believer unless we put them, these things, into action. Notice as we read these verses that what God has done and then what he's calling us to do. 
So let's start in verse 1 and go through verse 8. Hear the reading of God's holy word. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His his precious and very great promise, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Now, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement, or some versions say add to, to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to focus on the divine power in which God has given us to live the life. He has given us everything we need to live the life, to conquer the things that are before us. But it depends on how active you are in adding these things to your faith. He gave us a list here and he says, notice the emphasis on make every effort. It's a command to continually to supplement the faith that has been given to you, these qualities in your life. And so we've been looking at them, and here these are the qualities. Faith. The faith that brings us into a relationship with the Lord. Not only that, but this virtue or moral excellence. Virtue that he's talking about is to seek to mirror God's character as a standard and goal for our own character in life which leads to knowledge. The knowledge, not just to be smart, but to de- knowledge that describes what God is like and what we should be like as well. So to understand who God is, to know Him. So that way we can be self-controlled and we can make every effort to be self-controlled. Well, how can we do that if we don't know God and we don't know His virtues and His character and we're not living by faith, it's hard to be self-controlled. This enables us to curb our physical passions and enables us to make our bodies servants of the Lord so we can persevere, so that the battles and all the, all the things that hit us in the battle that God has called us to live in, we won't succumb to them, but we can endure. Perseverance enables us to endure anything while in our pursuit of godly character, even when we suffer for doing so. So that way we can be godly, so we can exercise godliness. It's seeking to live out our lives to please God in all practical areas. And that's where we left off last week, but uh, there we go. So this morning we want to continue and look at the last thing. Last two things is brotherly love or brotherly affection or brotherly kindness 
and to look at uh, God's love, agape love. Now, here's the thing. I don't, uh, I don't promote the movie per se, but if you've never read, uh, read the book about uh, Dick Winters wrote about the Band of Brothers, I encourage you to do so. It's amazing. It's entitled The Band of Brothers, and it follows a unit all the way through World War II, and all the things that they experienced, all the hardships and all the victories, and, and they were celebrated, but it gives us a glimpse in what it's like to be faced with a group of men and facing in immense hardships and a battle that's just being, it's hard to explain the barrage that they went through. And many didn't survive. But it's amazing as we think about this band of brothers, it's the idea of brotherly love. It's banding together other one, under one banner, and that is Christ. Brotherly love is the idea of close, harmonious relationship. One goal, one drive. It's kind of the example of Philippians chapter 2. To have the mind of Christ. It's amazing as, as, as we think about this. As this is an exercise that we must do. It's not that we just have brotherly kindness because of coming together to church. It's something that we have to exercise in order to benefit from. And I dare say, in order to have the love of God, this agape love that we hear about, like in 1 Corinthians 13, in order for a church to have that kind of love, you have to be exercising brotherly love. Brotherly love points us back to God, which points us to how to live in love sacrificially with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we love the way God loves, then we can also have brotherly love. It's a full circle thing. You can't have brotherly love without agape love or God's love. You can't have God's love without brotherly love. It goes together. We have to continue to pursue at all costs, pursue growth. It's not for us to say, it's not, we can't just say let go and let God. We have the responsibility to exercise these things, to work it out, to make every effort, to go up and lift this weight of love continually every day. When we don't do it, strife and conflict are allowed to grow. When we exercise brotherly love, it's like spraying the most effective weed killer you know, right? You know those weed killers that are now outlawed because they cause so many problems, right? Brotherly love is the most effective way to, to weed out complaining, dissension, all sorts of problems. It is the weed killer that God prescribes in this attempt to be a band of brothers focusing on the goal that God has given us to live for him, to support one another, to love one another, to care for one another, to fix the things in our lives by supporting and building up each other. The only way this happens is by exercising brotherly love. It means to love, love that is genuine without hypocrisy, 
It's a love without pretense and show. You don't have to wonder what somebody thinks because you know that they're just genuinely loving and caring about you. When somebody comes up and says, Pastor, I don't like that. I don't worry about why. I just say, well, I ask. How can I help you? I don't assume that they have an ulterior, uh, I don't say they have some other motive in why they're bringing this complaint to me. I just say, how can I love you without any pretense or show? There's no prejudice. It's free of bias. It's a love that produces, that allows all justice to happen according to God's will. It's not manufactured, manufactured justice like we see today. It's, there's no, nothing that causes in the way for us to love. That's this brotherly kindness. It is the love of saints uh, uh, is the love that saints should show and have for one another as fellow believers. It is a love based in part on what we share in common. You say, Pastor, how can we love this way? It's because of what we're focusing on. We're focusing on what we have in common, that we are only alive and together because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. You remember the very first year that I was here? By the way, it's hard to believe I've almost been here two years. It doesn't seem like that. Boy, it goes fast. And the whole year we focused on the gospel. Everything was about the gospel. We cannot survive and grow together and love each other if we're not focused on the ultimate sacrifice and how we can love each other. It's because of the ultimate sacrifice in God's love for us. This love is based on a shared relationship with Christ. That tells us a lot. It can be be sensed immediately, even though two people don't know each other. If you've been overseas, we've been overseas, many of you have gone overseas, you know what it's like when you meet another believer, right? Right? You are immediately, there's bond. Like, where did that bond come from? Where did that joy of spending time together? Anissa knows, I mean, we go anywhere. I can find, I just usually find a believer, and we just start talking about all sorts of crazy stuff. And, uh, and we, can, we have this bond. In Togo, we made, I mean, we made friends, like lifelong friends like that. That's the brotherly love. Because it's based on our relationship with Christ. In your notes, it, this love, it carries the kind of kindness. It's, it's, a, it's an overt love. It's a friendly love. It's a love that considers others and is gracious and kind to them. It's the kind of love that God and, and Jesus have together in their ultimate relationship that spends all eternity, eternity past and eternity future. It's never started and it's never ended. It's just a continual kindness for, that they have with one another. It's, the, it's seeking the highest good for others. Right? It's looking out for the interest of others and not focusing on your own interests. That's a type of love that we're supposed to exercise It fulfills the Ten Commandments and reveals Christ. Did you know when you follow the Ten Commandments, the only way you can do that is by loving the Lord, your God, with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, right? There's not a lot of strength up here, but hopefully I'm thinking correctly. But the idea here is, is that when you love the way that God has commanded us to love, it actually fulfills the Ten Commandments. You remember when a new, uh, in John 13, 34-35, it says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Do you know what the greatest evangelistic outreach there is? Number one is when you love each other. A lot of churches say, well, why is our church dead? Why aren't we growing? My question usually with them is, is how much do you love your body? And they're like, and they always think of body. And I'm like, they're like, look at me. I don't love my body. I love food. And uh, I'm like, I'm not talking about the body. I'm talking about the body of Christ, right? I have a fixation on donuts that Donald is trying to beat out of me, but he hasn't won yet. So (laughs) I have years of building up a resistance on uh, donuts. (laughs) But here's the thing. God wants us to love each other. How much are you working that out in your life? Make every effort to supplement in your life this quality. It fulfills the Ten Commandments. We already got kind of this. It must be practiced continually. Hebrews 13.1. Let brotherly love continue. The word continue there is, is in the verb is saying to do it always. No, stop. By the way, if you're constantly practicing brotherly love, there's no time for hurting each other. You're too busy. You're too busy loving the Lord so you can love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, so you practice it, you practice it, and this is the other thing. It grows by honoring one another. Do you know your ability to love each other grows as you honor one another? Imagine that. The more you practice it, the easier it becomes to... Donald reminds me of that all the time. I work out with him like once every month, I think. And uh, <laughs> being honest. And uh, he, he goes, if you keep coming, it'll get a little bit easier. <laughs> I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> and uh, I should listen, right? Imagine that. If we do what God says... It gets easier. One of these days I'll stop mentioning Donald in a sermon. But it's just too easy to pick on the illustration. There should be no distinction in love with one another. We should honor one another. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter where they're from. It doesn't matter how old, how young. It doesn't matter. We should honor one another. By the way, when it tells us, it commands us, Romans chapter 12 in verse 10, when it tells us to honor one another, it doesn't give a distinction. It says do it to one another. One another means everyone. I mean, pastor, that that pesky neighbor down the street that I don't like? Yeah, exactly. Start loving them, right? 
it's amazing when we do marriage counseling, I find that everybody says, oh, we love one another, and we find out that you got to keep practicing. <laughs> Just because you said, I do, doesn't mean you still love each other, <laughs> right? you got to practice. Practice makes perfect. That's why we have a marriage, marriage life seminar once a month. It's not, most of the people that come, it's not because we don't know the truth, it's because we want to continue to practice the truth and grow marriages in our church. That's why I had a married couple do this. They're a band of brothers fighting the fight that God has given them at home. Not because the passage that they read was about marriage. It's about that they're working together in the, in the fight that God has given them. Doesn't mean they're perfect, right? Veterans, I've, I've been to a lot of your groups, and you always tell me all the things you don't like about you know, the, the lieutenant, usually it's the lieutenants, right? They haven't figured it out, you know, how to actually lead the group. But it's not always perfect, but it's about working together. It's amazing all the likes and dislikes that I hear. But then they say, but we have to work together. And I, it's always amazing how many times I've heard, and we help him be better for the sake of the whole thing. That's what it means to have a band of brothers to, to take care of each other. By the way, it doesn't mean that brotherly love is a snap. It's like, it's easy. It's not easy. But if you are practicing all these qualities, one through six that we already named, it helps build a resistance in quitting. We need to pursue it. It's costly. It's serious business. Loving one another costs, right? Sometimes it costs a tractor part. Sometimes, sometimes it, it costs, you know, uh, holding the pastor accountable. Sometimes it's giving up something you like for the sake of somebody else in church that needs it more than you. Sometimes it costs gas. Sometimes it costs a pig, you know. <laughs> sometimes... It costs, you know, the, the, some, it's costly. But here's the thing, sometimes it costs you giving up something to help somebody that bothers you. Uh, let, me, let me put it this way. Romans 5.8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the ultimate cost when we were the ugliest to love us. Right? In 1 John 4, uh, 1 John is just like the love chapter. <laughs> it tells us about our relationship with the Lord and each other. Chapter 4, verse 19 through 20, John begins and he says, We love because he first loved us. Our love to God is representative. God, uh, John continues, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. You cannot love God and hate your brother in arms. It's, it's, you're not loving God then. For if anyone does not love his brother whom he has seen, he cannot love God whom he has not seen. Right? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul says this about the family of God. He said, here, in the family of God, he says, here there is no Greek 
or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, synecdoche, slave or free, but there is Christ is in all and is in all and is all. It's all about Christ. We must not put a limit to our love, saying that we will love certain people in the church but not others. That is, that's not, that's a sin. Christ is, is in all and all. When you say, I can't love the brother in Christ, there, Christ is in him. How can you say, I, I cannot love a brother in Christ when Christ is in him and you say that you can lo- you're going to love Christ? You can't do that. Can you imagine Christ saying, I'm going to die for all of sin, but I don't like them, so I'm not going to die for them. That's not the way it works. That gets us right into the point number eight, and that is God's love. Agape love, the ultimate sacrificial love. The love that God says is a choice that we have to do. And people tell me all the time, well, that's God's love, and it's impossible for us to manifest that kind of love. We cannot manifest because the Bible tells us that God is love. Do you know that the only reason we know what love is is because of God's character and who he is? We're going to get to that in, in 1 John. Love is not prompted by what the other person is or does, but by a love rooted in what or who God is. It is the love of God which flows through us. That's why he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Because when we love God, that love in which he has loved us is allowed to flow through to others. It's the only way marriage works. It's the only way the body of Christ works. God's love is summed not by what we are, but what he is. You say, well, how do you know that we can love this way? Well, first of all, you notice that Peter tells the church, you must exercise this, right? And go, if you go back, it says, his divine power is granted to us all things to life and godliness, verse 3. How about verse 5? Or, and then verse 4, by which he has granted us this very precious promise, so that through them you might become partakers of his divine nature. We can partake of and also distribute this love which comes from God. God is referring, and Peter here is referring to a self-sacrificing, never-ending, all-encompassing love that Jesus exhibited when he came to earth to die for our sins. It is that very same love that God desires to see lived out in our lives for everyone. It is also for the the lack of this love that many do not have peace and assurance that they desire in life. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. When we are not loving the way that God wants us to love, it also produces a lack of peace and joy in our life. Simply this, it's what God wants us to do. 1 John 3.16. You know, have you ever followed those 3.16s through all the Bible? I did it once just for fun, writing them all out. It was a little silly. 
But I like this one. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. We ought to. It's what God wants us to do. When we love God, we are able to love others the same way. By the way, it's also, it's the character trait, trait around which all others revolve. Do you remember at the very end it said, faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is, or, yeah, I mean, faith, faith and hope, right? But the greatest of these is love. Every character trait that comes from God and that every character trait that he's asking us to live in our lives for one another revolves around this love. So we know that we have come to know and to believe the love of God that has for us that God is love and whoever abides in the love abides in God and God abides in him. The divine nature has the ability to be manifested in your life. We love because God first loved us. We love others. As we love others, we manifest that character of God to men. I never I remember somebody sharing about they were at a a they went to this retreat about marriage and this atheist was protesting about marriage and this lady was protesting and she was talking about how horrible men were and all this kind of stuff and in which men I mean we are horrible I mean, there's, by the way, no, there's none of us here that are horrible, uh, that aren't horrible, right? All of us needed Christ to die for our sins. But she was just going on and on and on. And so this pastor came and started describing the love that Jesus has for us. And he said, that's the type of love that God has commanded us to love. And that's the type of love that's patterned, the husband is patterned after in the marriage. And she's like, man, if any man would love me like that, I would give up anything. I mean, that, I mean, that's the type of love that we all desire. She would say she'd give up, she would pay any amount to have that. And we have it in Christ. When that's what God wants. That's how people get saved because they see this kind of love manifested in our life. By the way, did you know what? Just as before, when we honor others, brotherly love grows. This agape love, God's love, is minimized by selfish desire. This is interesting. <laughs> love, agape love, is being interested in others more than yourself. A sinful man is self-centered and self-focused, and he uses other people for his own benefit. Of such people, Jesus said, because of their increase of wickedness, the love, agape love, of most will grow cold. This is the condition we face in churches all across the world. The love of self will kill God's love. It'll kill it. It'll cover it. Just as brotherly love kills most problems in the church, Sin and selfishness and desire for self will, will kill God's love in the church. Love is the essence of the Ten Commandments. This is 
true of brotherly love and it's also true of God's love is the fulfillment of the law, not the negation of the law. We see it all the time. People say, well, I'm just going to love them and, 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 and we can just break any commandment. We can break God, what God wants. We don't have to, just as long as we love each other, that's all that's important. It's not true. When we love the way God has loved us, we actually will fulfill the Ten Commandments. It actually makes it easier, by the way. It doesn't become a set of rules. It becomes a joy. We don't even think about it when we're loving the Lord. I like what in Romans 13.10, consider what Paul writes in Romans. It says, love does not harm, does no harm to its neighbor. When we love the way God loved us, we don't harm one another. The neighbor, the other person across the aisle or across your fence or <laughs> across the street or across the cubicle at work or the, across the desk at school. Love does no harm because it changes the view of our enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, God says in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, if you are actually loving the way I loved you and you focus on the gospel, when you live according to the gospel, you will even love your enemies. By the way, have you ever tried that? There's this amazing thing that begins to happen when you begin to love your enemies. You begin to pray for them. You sacrifice for them. And all of a sudden, your enemy begins to realize that you're no longer an enemy. Yeah, you should try it. When Anissa's witnessed it a few times when I've had enemies come face to face and I had to love them. It was either love them or punch them. <laughs> She's seen it and she couldn't believe it, but I was like this pit bull. I wouldn't let it go until we were crying and hugging it out. Right? And this was when, uh, this happened to end up being a, a fellow pastor in our church. I don't know why I've been spit on so many times. <laughs> but we just, and we ended, but we, you had to exercise love and sacrifice what you feel, your feeling, your desire, your right to get him away, had to sacrifice so I could pull him close so we could encourage one another and he became an effective brother in arms to fight the battles. And later on, when the church came under attack by people, he was my defender in the faith. I don't like setting me up as a good person because, trust me, I've blown it so many times. Anissa was, I've gotten mad, and I said, I just don't want to go into the office. I don't want to see that person. I don't want to, and she's like, have you prayed for him? I'm like, so just as much as I've succeeded, I have failed. <laughs> it demands a response. It demands a response. Love is responsive. God's love. Dear friends, in 1 John 4, again, dear love, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. We love, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. We respond in kind. It's responsive. It demands a response. 
It's the greatest, right? It's the greatest. Love is the greatest. What is love? Paul writes, by the and uh, I almost said Pastor Jim. He's in effect, he is a pastor. <laughs> He's an elder here at the church. Um, my brother in arms, he said this. It, 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 everybody goes to chapter 13. It's like the marriage chapter. It has nothing to do with marriage. It actually has to do with everybody fighting in the church. Just read 1 Corinthians. They were at odds with each other. They were battling to see who is the most important. And he says, love is. And you don't have it. Because you're not loving God. Paul writes, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Throw away that mental book that you have, that diary of everything somebody did that you didn't like. Cover it up. How do you cover it up? Get in the Psalms, realize who God is and who we are not. God is holy, we are not holy. There is no one here holy. Stop writing down everybody's wrongs because you've wronged just as much as they have wronged. But we forget that because we're not looking to the Lord who exemplifies the ultimate love. Keeps no record of wrong. How many people keep records of wrong and die without forgiving? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Now these three are in, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Do you love the Lord sacrificially? Do you serve the Lord out of, or do you serve the Lord out of convenience? Hmm. Well, you know, this, it's convenient. I'm going to go to this activity and serve the Lord because it's convenient. I, I have that time available many of us feel that it is convenient when it's convenient we'll serve the Lord if I have enough time for my other priorities I'll serve the Lord if I can find someone to spare time uh, on the outer edge of the all the peripheral things in my life I'll serve him here's the thing are you serving the Lord sacrificially if you are not serving the Lord sacrificially I'm not saying you have to give up everything well you do you give up everything in your life but that doesn't mean you give up everything it means you gain the Lord and He is in control of everything that you have in your life. Do you love the Lord sacrificially? Do you serve the Lord or do you do it out of convenience? Because if you do not serve the Lord and love Him sacrificially, you're not going to love each other sacrificially. It's impossible. It will not happen. Grade yourself. As you go through this list that we just spent four weeks going over, can you go through all of these characteristics, all these these qualities that he say that we need to exercise and conclude that you're making every making every every that word every is important right not making some effort making every effort to add them to your faith to your daily life in trusting the lord in all areas it's important to continue to focus on god's love isn't it i pray that you know God's love in the fullest. Not knowing him as in you've read the Bible and know it, but that you have a deep-seated relationship. You've been reconciled to God. You've been brought, when Christ died for your sins, he brought you into full fellowship with God. 
Not just a Sunday fellowship. Not just a Bible study fellowship. You're a son and daughter of the living God, the creator of all things. He loves you. Take full advantage of that relationship. Are, you, are we as a church a band of brothers? Exercise these things that we might be prepared for whatever God brings our way so we can be an effective tool in the master's hands. Loving one another. How can we love our community if we don't even love ourselves? Not ourselves as personally, but as a body. It's pretty hard, right? They will know us by our love. Greatest witnessing tool in the church is how we love each other. Lord, we thank you for our time together this morning. I pray that we will look at these verses and these qualities and say, I need to exercise. It's no wonder I'm struggling. And it's okay to say that and that we'd be honest and say, I am struggling, and, but I'm going to start exercising and that we would take and make every effort to add these things to our life. That we would practice brotherly kindness and this brotherly love and this dear, not having any bias and just saying, well, I'm going to love my, my brothers in Christ. I'm going to love one another. Not because of what they can do for me, but just because of being kind and compassionate and being gracious. Living out the qualities in which God has given to me when he died on the cross for my sins. Lord, I pray that we would continue to learn more how to be sacrificial in our love the way that you sacrificed for us. Lord, you are the door to eternal life. Jesus said to us, Lord, you said, as Christ our Lord, you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We can't be good. We can't be righteous. We can't be religious. We, well, we can be religious, but we're not good. Lord, we can't be perfect without you. We need you. We will stand before you one day and we'll have to give an account for our life and you will ask us, why do you, why should you go to heaven? Why should I let you into heaven? And we're going to have to either say, I don't know, I'm a good person, and you will reject it because we're not good. Or we can say, I know a Savior, I know my Savior. And Jesus will stand up and say that I paid for his sins because they've put my, your, their faith and trust in me. Lord, you gave us salvation. You chose to save us. It is your desire, your will, and you call us to respond. So, Lord, I pray this morning that somebody realize that we can't get to heaven by our goodness. We cannot be good, but, Lord, you are good, and you died. That's why you went to the cross, to pay for our sins so we can be reconciled, so all of our accounts, all of our deeds are washed away, and the blood of Christ is been applied to our life, the payment for our sins. The ultimate sacrifice is one who would lay down his life for his friends. And Lord, you died for us that we might know life. So Lord, I pray that right now that if someone here does not know you that way, that they don't have a relationship with you, that they would call upon your name and say, Lord, I'm not good. I need, 
to be saved from my sins. And I realized this morning that I'm a sinner and that I can't get to heaven. And Lord, that they would just, Lord, that they would call to you and say, Lord, I realize now today that you're the one who paid for my sin. You're the one who's good. Your sacrifice brings life to my life. And Lord, that you would save them this morning, that you would prick their heart, that your spirit would reveal to them how much they need you and that they would be saved. And as we sing, I pray that they'd respond to that message, to that call to be saved, that they would give up their life and come before you and say, I need you. And right there where they're standing or sitting, that they would acknowledge that and be saved. And that all of us would emulate that relationship which you have with us to love each other the way you have loved us. Ultimately, Lord, we want to praise you and bring glory to you. In Jesus' name.